This is Structured Rambling, a podcast about ideas from literature and about literature. Episodes can focus on a single text or a theme from multiple texts. My name is Paul Sonsby. Welcome. William Shakespeare is my favorite dramatist, and that's a shame. That means that all of the dramatists in the 400 plus years since Shakespeare's death haven't bettered him, in my eyes at least. Nor the dramatists prior to him for the thousands of years, drama, one of our oldest forms of expression, has existed. That's maybe me being a little bit sarcastic, but it's essentially true. I love drama, always have. I grew up on the stage. I acted as a kid, being one of the only boys in a small prairie town willing to go out for the high school play meant I always had a choice role. That said, most of my appreciation for the true theater craft and experience has come mostly in my adult years. Probably this is easily explained. I love drama. I love to perform, both as an actor and as, as a musician, but I'm a reader and a writer first. Even if intended for the stage, plays to me are always texts first. As an English teacher, I find kids always engage well with drama. Now, a cynical reason is we read it out loud, so it's the one thing I know the whole class will read that semester, but I think there's more to it than that. I think there's the overall appeal, magic even, of drama. While doing university and starting my career as an English teacher, I always leaned on my drama background. I used it to pad my resume and was involved in the performing arts in my first four teaching jobs. Um, Wherever I was, I, I tried to help out. Then one summer, I took a job teaching theater uh, for a summer school. I knew very little about teaching theater. It was kind of like the hockey player who becomes a coach. I knew about writing. I knew about acting. I'd faked it, and I was now going to have to make it. And I faked it at that job for 14 straight summers. But boy, did I learn a lot about theater. I wrote I directed, I adapted scripts, I put on performances, I made costuming, lighting, and sound decisions, and I got really good at the overall craft. This this school associated uh, with the Canadian Badlands Passion Play and the Rosebud School of the Arts. And despite my not being of the same religious affiliation as those two, they are still the realm of professional theater, especially Rosebud. I learned so much about the craft and came to see drama for what it really is. I dealt with professional actors, directors, productions. I learned so much as I went because drama is very, very special. It's not just cheap cinema and it's not just acting out texts. It's space sharing. It's risk. It's a liminal moment. When the lights go down and the curtain rises metaphorically, there aren't usually curtains anymore, there is an intimacy, a sharing between performers and audience. Every show is different because every audience is different. There is nothing like it. That was the most I learned from all those years with performances, working on the craft. The drama 
is just such a special thing. In a written text, all control is central with the author. The reader has to engage and suspend disbelief, but the author's talent will decide how willing the reader is to do that. A film has many more people involved, but cutting and editing mean you have a lot of opportunity to adjust. Theater is live. From writer to to director to an individual actor, you have as many variables that can affect audience experience as possible every single performance. If you're not impressed enough by this, then you don't go to enough theater. And that's a common enough thing in our cinema and celebrity mad world. COVID taught us that we never have to suffer in a movie theater again. Sitting with rude strangers, being walloped by a sound assault, paying way too much for popcorn without the ability to pause or frankly enjoy where you are is long over in my opinion. I've talked about this before. I don't need to ever enter a movie theater again. But a theater theater? Absolutely. Theater is a communal experience. It's like church, only better. Because it's got art, it's unpredictable, and it encourages you to think, and it makes you feel good. Sorry, church. That beautiful, liminal moment when the lights go down and the first actor comes onto the stage, the hush and the rustle, And maybe the first audible, unpredictable laughs or gasps is, for my money, an actual holy moment. You can do so much with theater, and you have to, because you have so little. This is another thing people who equate theater and film need to correct. Theater usually has a very small budget, but even bigger shows destined for Broadway or London's West End have limitations of set and cast. Good drama begins with the writer. The concept has to be one we can get into. Then the characters have to be full, vibrant, diverse from each other, with engaging dialogue. You're not going to have explosions or car chases, so you've got to use what you do have, your words, and the actors who say them. If you're a casual theater goer, you are maybe more used to big cast, big budget musicals. These get all the acclaim, but... They're not exactly true theater. Don't like don't get me wrong. I like a good sparkling big budget musical, but they don't do for me what theater is really about. They're full of music and dancing and spectacle and they're mostly just put on to entertain. Yeah, you get it. They basically act like movies. What they do artistically is usually just in the music and the choreography, and that's great. Everything in its own place in its own way. But it's not really theater's art. Good theater should feel small. Not casts of hundreds. No helicopters or walking operational drafts. We're talking four to five characters tops. And if there's more than that, some of the actors are double cast. That's true theater. Like I said, I love a good musical in its place. I love a good superhero movie in its place. Neither is there to make me think about who I am as a person. They are there simply to entertain me. True theater is watching writing happen. It's seeing the best passages of the best novel expressed in front of your eyes. Let's consider a few examples. I joke when I teach modern drama because the texts range from 1890s to 1960s. Yeah, modern. But that's the nature of literature-based curricula. Changes happen slowly. 
except in Florida where the changes are rapid and backwards. The best examples of modern theater that cross over into the classroom are the works of Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams and Henrik Ibsen. I like teaching all of these, but Miller speaks to what I love about the stage the most, and he meant to. Unlike so many writers, Miller wasn't a novelist who dabbled in theater. He wrote plays. Everything he made had that craft of the stage in mind, and it shows, pun intended. Death of a Salesman, for example, is a masterwork. It's such a stunning display of reality written in a time of masculine stoicism. Like it's 1949. Men didn't talk about their feelings, much less their failings. American men won wars, built freeways, went after communists, eyed Korea and the moon. Every man was a hero, a king, a god. We did not explore or suggest that a well-intentioned man could fail. If a man failed, it was his own fault, his own weakness. Salesman is about a regular American family, the Lomans, and our protagonist is Willie, a tired man in his 60s who has never amounted to anything and just can't accept that. If he can't, get, if he can't be great, at least his sons, happy and especially Biff, the oldest, might be, proving Willie was great in raising them. But he's wrong. Willie lies to everyone and to himself, and he's driven himself slowly mad. Or maybe he's just that tired. Now, let's be careful. One can be too forgiving of Willie Loman. He's done some bad things. But his point, as is Biff's, is to say some men are not great. They're just men. Those that can't be satisfied with that drive themselves crazy trying to be more than enough, more than they should be. There's a documentary on Miller made by his daughter after his death and how he describes those initial showings of Death of a Salesman is very telling. After the, the lights went up in the house, men moved around the theater and cried and spoke to each other, seeing themselves expressed so well on the stage. They cried in their seats with their arms around each other and then and only then did they applaud. This was a real play about real men saying real things, all buried in constant lying. And it's something. The staging is so incredibly thoughtful because it's so compassionate for Willie's breakdown. We move back and forth from now to Willie's idyllic memories. Um, we have to take that in consideration because they're lies he tells himself. Um, he walks through wall lines. He talks to people who aren't there. It's a beautiful view of a man who is suffering. And there aren't any dance numbers. Miller wrote The Crucible, too, an allegory on the McCarthy trials set during the Salem witch trials. He was lethally topical when he wanted to be, and punished for it, as most often are. During the fallout of the McCarthy madness, many wrote Miller off, and there were some, there were some tough times He'd use the stage to speak truth to power, something it does better than almost any other genre. Tennessee Williams in A Streetcar Named Desire and other plays such as The Glass Menagerie went after traditional Southern values and attitudes. In a time, again the 40s and 50s, where America was getting ultra-conservative, he explored concepts like judgment, sexuality, and traditional family values. His plays have been banned in many states, many states, 
which is always a sign that the writer was on to something. Theater has an amazing ability to challenge us. Henrik Ibsen's plays are still taught despite being a century old and originally written in Norwegian because many of them are really examples of the first modern theater. Prior to him, much of the 19th century theater was doing what's expected of a modern musical, just entertaining. I'm generalizing, but these domestic plays, and at first he appeared to be writing domestic plays, were sort of like bland sitcoms. One setting, a home, there's some problems and confusion, and then everything turns out all right in the end. Except, in a doll's house, it doesn't turn out all right in the end. After almost comically hiding a transaction from her husband, Nora is found out, and after the confrontation with him, chooses to leave her husband Torvald and their children. This was explosive. This was the 1890s. There was no such thing as women's lib. I guess it was so unbelievable to people in the original Norwegian that Ibsen was forced to write a different, happier, banal expected ending before the play was staged in England and Germany. But over time, people came to appreciate the true thing he wrote. The take-home is this. A play caused a ruckus. It caused people to think, and it even made people mad. Books can do that. Look at the insanity going on in Florida right now. Movies can do that too, of course, but there's something uniquely special about the communal experience that is live theater. For us non-believers, I think it's as close as we can get to euphoria, the euphoria that some folks experience in church. There's no greater thrill for me than that moment the house lights go down and the stage lights go up and a hush goes over the audience. The first actor takes the stage. It's more silent than a library. The communion begins. Trust and expectation on the part of the audience, nerves and determination on the part of the actor. There's so much chance involved, but he's ready to embrace it. I've been lucky enough to be the person in the audience, the person taking that stage, and the person who has told the person how to take that stage and is hoping he does his best, and sometimes is surprised by how much further he takes it than I expected and asked. It is an absolutely thrilling moment, and live theater continues to thrill because of it. Nothing else is live theater. I want to thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed my podcast, please feel free to give me a rating and review. Episodes come out at the beginning and middle of pretty much every month. Have a great day.